Pastor James Lynch. He is the pastor of the Way Church in Seoul, Korea. And he was one of the people who, alongside with no agenda, just wanting to reach out to this community and pray for this community, he made himself available. Um, so over you know, the last few months, he's actually been reaching to us. He's not a random person that we're bringing in to speak to our community, but somebody who has felt the Lord putting New Philly on his heart in order to pray, to contend for us, and to reach out to us relationally. So, man, it's so amazing to, that, that we get to have him preach for us today. He's going to be preaching on, um, just like I, I said last week on the book of Revelation, the particular section on the letter that was written, I guess, by Apostle John, but through the mouth of Jesus, um, to address to the Church of Philadelphia. So can we give him a big welcome, New Philly? Is that on? Can you hear me? It's a little bit short. Pastor Susie. <laughs> <All right. laughs> no, it's good. It's good. All right. Uh, well, good afternoon, uh, New Philly. Uh, it's such an honor and a privilege to be with uh, all of you, and to have the opportunity uh, just for a short time uh, to teach you some truths from God's Word. Uh, as as Pastor Susie said, um, honestly and sincerely, uh, your your community, uh, your gathering has been uh, on my heart. Um, we've we've been talking about you in our leadership rooms, even at Way, and uh, and praying for you over the last several months. And in particular, um, this past fall, we went through a week long. Uh, fast together uh, as a community, and it was during that time that I really felt specifically um, just about, the, I guess it was like the third day or so, uh, I really felt like the Lord uh, had, had spoken directly to me uh, about some of your uh, your leaders and, and just coming alongside and just offering uh, my, my support uh, in whatever way it might be needed just to be a soundboard to listen or to pray or to um, sometimes come and teach whatever, um, to give some advice or, or whatever it is. Um, my, my wife and I, um, we moved to Korea four and a half years ago uh, to plant churches in Korea, um, and, and we've been doing that now, and, and, and mostly um, to uh, Korean communities, but the past three years, uh, uh, he's, he's put us in a position to start an English ministry and an English-speaking church, which we do in Haebongchan, and, um, and then through that time, I've built some relationships with, with some of you, uh, because you know, the English ministries have to stick together. Right? We're kind of unique in, in this big city. And um, I've just always had such a great experience and great, uh, like, just healthy conversations uh, with your leaders here and heard so much about your community. And so, again, it's just a blessing to be here. Thanks for uh, having me. Um, for many of you uh, who are here, and some of you might be new to all of this, this language and, and all of these things with New Philly, but I know for, for so many of you this past year, has been a difficult and a challenging, uh, challenging year. I know there's been a lot of transition um, that was just prayed over even now. Some transition that's taking place, um, uncertainty when it comes to like where you're going to be gathering, uh, gatherings coming together, um, 
leadership positions changing, um, people coming in, people going out. Um, and so with all that, uh, I wanted to bring you today a very specific word. Uh, perhaps at times it'll be challenging, but I hope primarily it will be an encouraging word for you today. One of the things that we see in Scripture, and I think we see this in our world as well, is that there is a lot that is attached to a name. There's a lot that comes with a name. Like, for example, in Genesis, we're introduced to this, this man. His name is Jacob. For those of you who've been in the church, you know Jacob. And Jacob's name literally means heel grabber, grabber of a heel or surplanter. And, and he's named that. Why? Because of what he did, right? We know it says that he came out of the womb and he was following his brother. He was second. Esau was first. And as he's coming out of the womb, he was actually holding on to his, his brother's heel. He's named Jacob for that reason. But we also see that his name, heel grabber, Jacob, follows him through his life as well. Like in the way that he grabbed at his brother's or his father's blessing that was to be his brother's. Or later on, in a positive way, uh, the way that he, he grasped onto the angel of the Lord. And he said, I'm not going to let you go until you give me what I want, right? We see this with names of cities as well today. Like I, our gathering meets in Hebongchan. It means freedom village, right? It doesn't mean freedom in the way that you and I, as followers of Jesus, mean freedom. If you go to Hebongchan at night, you'll see they have a different reason for freedom. Right? But it's called Freedom Village, right? And it's named that for a reason. Right? It's, it's a little town, little place in Seoul where people go to be free. We see this in Scripture as well. Like, for example, the name Jerusalem or the city of Jerusalem, God's holy city. And what does Jerusalem mean? Well, we know it's the city of peace. City of peace. It's the foundation of peace. The place of completeness. Or other translations will use the word wholeness wholeness it's a place of wholeness and why well for one primary reason because that's where god was god was was there and we know that where god is peace is there also that if you went to jerusalem you could become complete you could be whole because it was there that you could go and meet god for the majority of us here we've been given the name disciple Disciple. You are called, deemed a disciple. And what does that mean? What does that carry? What's attached with that? Well, hopefully it means that you've put your faith in Jesus. It means that you are following him. It means that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It means that you're centering your life on the person of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you're devoting your life every day when you wake up, you're devoting your life to making disciples who make disciples to the ends of the earth. That you have that mission and that purpose. That's what it means to be a disciple. There's a lot that is attached to a name. It oftentimes speaks of identity. It provides clarity. And many times it gives us vision as well. And so here we are today at New Philadelphia Church. I think that's where I am, right? Uh, and I wonder, I wonder though, when's the last time that you deeply considered what's attached to your name? Uh, I've been in K Korea, as I said, for almost five years now. Um, this is my first, first time here, my first time having an opportunity to, to worship with you. 
Um, but in my time here, um, I know this, I've heard a lot about New Philly, <laughs> many things. Um, I've heard it's uh, really energetic. It's a really energetic group. I've heard it's, it's young, vibrant. I've heard from Southern, oh, it's, that, it's the charismatic church, English-speaking church in Seoul. I've heard that one. Um, I've heard things like, oh, that's the multi-site church in Seoul. Or I've heard, oh, they have great systems there, great structures. There's a lot of things I've heard about New Philly. One of the things I hear a lot is they have a really strong culture. That's what's said about you. Very strong culture. A lot has been defined for you over the years. A lot has spoken about you. Um, But what do you want to be known as? Um, How do you want to be defined? What comes with the name New Philadelphia when a person hears that? Why are you here? here? Why are you still here? Or maybe an even better question is, where are you going? Where are you going? If you have a Bible, I hope you do. We'll have the scriptures up for you on the screen here as well, I hope. But turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. Revelation, chapter 3. And we're going to start today in verse 7. Today I want to talk to you about the church at Philadelphia. Actually, the church that you were named after. And I hope the church that you are striving even now still, many years later, to be. I hope you're striving to be like this church. As you're turning there, uh, there are a few things worth noting about this city. Let me tell you something about the city of Philadelphia before we dive into the scriptures. First of all, uh, we know that Philadelphia, or brotherly love, as it's called. Why is it called brotherly love? Well, there was a king at that time, uh, and he was sort of the king over this region. He had a very close relationship with his brother. They were very close, inseparable. He was given the nickname Philadelphia, and therefore they named the city after him, Philadelphia, brotherly love. Okay? But Philadelphia, it was known for its farming culture, okay? known for its agriculture, things there uh, grew very quickly and in a very healthy way. Why? Because the soil was so fresh um, and so rich with nutrients. And there's some different reasons for that. Beyond that, we know that the original purpose of this city, really interesting. The purpose of this city, it was founded to actually be a missionary outpost for Hellenism. And what do I, what do I mean by that? Well, we know that it was originally designed to spread Greek culture to the rest of Asia. It was designed to uh, be an influence of Greek language uh, and a Greek way of thinking, Greek worldview uh, to the rest of Asia. See, there was a, uh, it it was sort of on a highway uh, that led uh, east to the rest of Asia. And so if you wanted to get into uh, kind of Asia Minor, you had to go through Philadelphia. And the hope was that as you passed through Philadelphia, you would get influenced by Greeks' ways of thinking. It's one of the reasons it was nicknamed, actually, Little Athens. It carried that with it. It was an influencer of Asia at that time, or Asian way of thinking, Greek way of thinking. And then the last thing that I want to tell you about the city, it's so relevant to our text today, you need to understand before we jump into the text, is that we also know that Philadelphia uh, was well known for its frequent earthquakes and volcanic activity. Because of that, uh, people in Philadelphia were used to going in and out of that city. They would have to go in and out all the time. 
an earthquake would come, the people would evacuate, things would be destroyed, decimated, and then the people would return back to Philadelphia and rebuild it again. And they'd live with that anticipation, that uncertainty, maybe a lack of clarity. The earthquake or the volcanic activity would come, they'd have to evacuate, things would be destroyed, and they'd come back and they'd have to rebuild it again, over and over and over again. This is the reputation at Philadelphia, a beautiful city. Wonderful architecture, known for its farming, known for its responsibility in spreading Hellenism, Greek culture, and also known for the frequent natural disasters that caused some instability in that place. It wasn't always stable at Philadelphia. And with that, here are the words that Jesus gives to the Apostle John to that church there. This is what he says. Look with me at God's word, Revelation 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write this. The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I already told you, there's so much that follows a name. And we see that here in the way Jesus first and foremost, describes himself. There's a lot that comes with the name of Jesus. He's described by many things, and he has specific things about his character that he wants Philadelphia to know. First, Jesus says, I am the Holy One. Throughout Scripture, this title is given to no one other than God. Only God is called the Holy One. In John 6, the disciples actually say of Jesus, he is the Holy One of God. Or later on in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and is is to come. God is holy. Christ is called holy in Scripture. And so Jesus here, writing this letter, as the head of his church, speaks to John. He says, I want Philadelphia to know this, that God himself is writing to you. God himself has something to say to you. And then Jesus says, not only am I the holy one, but I am the the true one. And that word there is athenos in Greek, athenos. There's a different kind of different nuances to the word true in Scripture. This one means, though, authentic or genuine. And so he's simply telling the church this, that I am the true God, the true one. All that I am is truth. Everything about my character is true. Continuing, he says, I'm the one who has the key of David, which, what, speaks to Jesus' position as king. It's messianic here. And having the key speaks to his authority. Whoever has the key to the house has the authority over that house, right? It says that he is in control. This is actually a direct reference to Isaiah 22. I encourage you to write that down. Study that passage of Scripture for, for yourself. I don't have the time to do it right now, but we know from the parallel in Isaiah 22 that what Jesus is saying here, what he wants the church to know is that he has 
authority over all of the royal riches of heaven. And therefore, he is the one who determines who those riches and all of the kingdom blessings go to. He has the say-so. He has the authority. That's why he closes with, I am the one who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. It's again authoritarian. He's reiterating what we just said. Jesus is the one who determines not only who's blessed, but also he determines who gets to enter the kingdom. He holds the keys. So before we even get the, the words to Philadelphia, Jesus makes sure that you know who's, who's talking. He begins by introducing himself saying, I am the one true holy God, the one who gives all of heaven's blessings, the one who opens the doors of the kingdom, who opens the door of salvation. And I have some words to share with you. And I think Jesus has some words to share with you today as well. Here's what he says. As God, the sovereign king, listen to Jesus, verse 8. He says, I know your works. In other words, I've been observing what you're doing. What you've been teaching, how you've been living, your response to life and circumstances, the situation you're in. He says, and behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to those, to try those who dwell on the earth. From Jesus' words here, I want to show you what defined this church. I want to show you what defines the church at Philadelphia. And from there, we're going to talk about Jesus' commitment to this church based on that character's characteristics. And then we're going to close, and I hope, I hope we'll close by giving you some encouragement of the blessings that come as a result of being a Philadelphia type of church. Three things that define Philadelphia that you can see there in verses 8 through 10. I hope, it, again, it defines you as New Philly as well. Number one, if you're taking notes, it's not on the screen. If you're taking notes, I hope you do. You have a phone. You can do that. Number one, number one, they were obedient. Number one, we see they were obedient. Notice again there in verse eight, it says, you have kept my word. You've kept my word. Or you could say there, you have, again, obeyed my word. Bottom line, this was a group of people who were tied to the scriptures They rooted themselves in God's word. They weren't distracted or influenced by the culture or the people around them. Not at all. They apparently kept the straight and the narrow path. They obeyed. And of course, this is the mark of every true believer. 
And we see this in something else John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. It says, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if what? If we keep his commandments. Obedience is therefore a sign of true faith. It's pretty amazing if you think about it. Jesus, who is God, writes to this church and looks at them and says, You're an obedient church. You obey my words. This is a church that God blesses. Second, we see there, they were loyal. Not only were they obedient, but we see they were loyal. He says, not only have you kept my word, not only have you obeyed the scriptures, but also, he says, you have not denied my name. You have not denied my name. You have to do a little bit of assumption, but also if you do some good research into church history, especially the first century church here, and to know what's going on in Asia Minor, you'll know that there was some pressure put upon the church at this time. Pressure to deny the name of Jesus. Okay, to say things like, Caesar is Lord, or Nero is Lord, not Jesus is Lord. They were being pressured. Pressured to sin, Pressured to compromise. Pressured to leave their first love, which we see happening with the church at Ephesus. But they don't. They stay strong in their temptation to compromise. They're faithful. They're not denying the lordship of Jesus, regardless of the cost or, again, the situation or the circumstances that are around them. They're continuing to proclaim the name of Jesus with their words and with their lives. These people are loyal to the lordship of Christ. And then third, what we see with this group at Philadelphia is that they were persevering. They were persevering. This church, again, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of uncertainty, struggle, in the midst of persecution, they kept on enduring. That's what it says in verse 10. Verse 10 says, You have kept my word about patient endurance. Maybe a more simple way to say that for understanding would be, You have kept my command to endure patiently. You have kept my command to endure patiently. I've told you, I've commanded you to persevere. That true disciples are the ones who not just start, but the ones who finish. We know there were, again, severe persecution and trials for the early church. And actually, Jesus gives every disciple, every follower of Jesus, including you and I, he gives all of us that expectation as well. Trials will follow disciples of Jesus. You will face hardships of many kind. It's not if trials will come, it's when they'll come. It's not Are you going to enter into a valley season? It's when is the valley season coming? It's coming. Trials follow disciples of Jesus. You will be hated for what you believe. Parents, brothers and sisters turning against one another. That's what's going to follow your life if you're truly following him today. Persecution. But Jesus says about Philadelphia, 
unique, by the way, to the majority of the churches in Asia Minor. He says of them, they endured. They were not wavering in what they believed. They stood firm. And this is what should be the aim of every church. <laughs> should be the aim of what it means to be a disciple. This should be New Philly. It should define you. That people in our city, people in Korea, know you to be a gathering that loves God and loves his word. That you are a church that is defined by your loyalty to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So you're never compromising your faith. And you should be striving to and aiming towards being a community of people that perseveres through trials. That you endure through hardship and pain. That you are faithful through every single situation that you face. Every mountain, every valley, you're not perfect, but you're faithful. And notice... Notice as well, they're doing this even though Jesus says here in the text, close to the beginning, he says, I know though that you have little power, and yet you're still doing all of these things. The word power there, it's dunamis, dunamis. It doesn't mean they're weak or they are frail. Don't misunderstand the text. Sometimes the English can be deceiving. You could easily read that and say, wow, they're not a really powerful church. They have very... They're more weak or frail, right? They're kind of fragile. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's just merely, literally talking about their size. That's all he's saying. He's saying, this is, I know that compared to Rome, compared to Roman or Greek influence in, in Asia Minor, you're just a small little community. And yet, even still, you're enduring, you're faithful, you're loyal to me. And that's gonna, what it's going to take in a city like Seoul as well, where we're talking about 25, 26 million people. And who are we? A hundred and what it is? I don't know, 150 people or something. We have but little power, little influence size-wise when, size-wise when it comes to Seoul. But even still, even still understand This is exactly who the Lord is looking to use. He always uses these types of groups, these types of people. He's always looking for the weak to make strong. He's always looking for the humble. He's always looking for the outcast. Why? So that he could be more glorified. You might be small. You might have little power in comparison to the world power around you but you can still be known by your faithfulness. You can still persevere. You can still endure. You can still be loyal. That was Philadelphia. Despite the odds and their challenging surroundings, this is who they were. Because of that, Jesus then walks them through his commitment to them. There's a lot that follows a commitment to the Lord. He is committed to you as well. And look what Jesus does and was going to do for this church back to verse 8. Look at what he says I'm going to do for you. 
He says, Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I don't know a better way to say this. I thought about it. How can I explain, like, what Jesus is saying here? Um, I have words in this language don't measure up. This is just a really cool promise from Jesus. It's just awesome. Jesus says that they have an open door set before them. And what does that mean? What does it mean that there's an open door set before them? Well, this has everything to do, everything to do with evangelistic opportunity. Evangelistic opportunity. It's the freedom to proclaim the gospel. That's what he's talking about here. I know that because we see the parallel to this um, in Paul's letters to both the Corinthians and the Colossians as well. And so with that, okay, you know, we have to bring that into Revelation, right? The Bible first and foremost interprets itself. Okay? First and foremost, when we're trying to understand what Scripture says, we don't go with our feelings. And we go to what has Scripture already said about this? And what we know is that this has everything to do with evangelistic opportunity. What is Jesus saying? Get this. Remember what this city was established for. Why was it founded in the first place? Remember its purpose? I told you that in the beginning, if you were paying attention. It was designed with the mission of spreading Greek culture and language throughout the whole region, to all of Asia. That was Philadelphia's intended purpose, at least from the world's view. I know you know this already. Jesus is in the business of making things new. That's why it's new Philadelphia. <laughs> But now he says, Jesus says, okay, all right, I heard how the world has defined you, and I've heard how the world has, has set, or what the world has set upon you, what it wants you to be, so I'm going to use that. Okay, I'm going to take that. I'm going to use your intended purpose, but instead now of being an open door or gateway for Greek culture, you're now going to spread the culture and the language of the kingdom throughout Asia. I have set an open door for you. In other words, People are going to come in and out of your life. And I'm going to use you, Philadelphia, to uniquely and freely give those people that you encounter the gospel. In a world that was persecuted, beaten, killed for what they believed. Jesus says, for you, sure, you're going to still face trials. But before you, there's going to be an open door for the gospel. Everyone in Asia and and this side, east, when they come through, I'm going to use you, church. I'm going to use you, Philadelphia, church, to share the gospel freely with everyone that comes in. You're just going to be an influencer of kingdom culture to the rest of the world. They might speak a bunch of different languages. And I say this all the time to our people at Way Church. We have a, a lot of different languages and cultures represented. And I always say, you know, some of us speak Korean. Some of us speak English here. Some of us speak Spanish whatever, Chinese, we have a lot of different languages, but one thing that we universally need to do, we all need to speak gospel. There's one language we always need to be speaking. We need to be speaking the language of the gospel to each other. That needs to be true of us. Jesus says about Philadelphia, I'm setting before you an open door so that you can give the language of the gospel to every single person who comes in your way. It's incredible. This is what was attached to being Philadelphia, an open door. Seeing lost people 
come to Jesus, being a healing place for the broken. It was being a witness where God had placed them. And I wonder, I wonder, is that who you are today? I wonder if this is still a a place for the broken. I wonder if this is still a place where people who do not know Christ are coming and learning about Christ, coming to Christ. Is that who you are committed to be moving forward individually and as a community? Look, Look what else he commits to them. Verse 9. He says, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Apparently in that town, there was a local Jewish synagogue. Which means that uh, this was a, a place where a large number of Jewish people lived. It means that Philadelphia had some influence, which we've already talked about. It was meant to be an influence. Larger city. It's full of people, Jesus says, who said they were Jews. They were calling themselves Jews, but Jesus says they're not really Jews. And that's not to say that their blood wasn't Jewish. Okay? He's not saying they get their ethnicity wrong. Okay? They were Jewish. But the point here was their heart. He's talking about something inward. Okay, this isn't an outward issue. It's an inward issue at Philadelphia. And we see Jesus address people like this all throughout his ministry, actually. Right? People who say they follow God, but they really don't. Okay, it's just an outward facade. You probably know people like this. Right? It's easy to sort of fake it around people. It's easy to come to a Sunday gathering and to put on a good face for a few minutes in the greeting time. But then what does it look like when you go home? There's people like this all over. Jesus warns of this. He warns us of these types of people. Always it's about the heart. We don't know all the details, but we can assume that these Jews in Philadelphia were attacking the church, persecuting the church, because that was happening all over Asia Minor at this time. And because of that, the Lord has a very strong response to these Jewish people. It's like, I see what you're doing to my church. So he says, I'm going to make them, that synagogue, those Jewish people, he says, I'm going to make them come down and bow before your feet. He says, and they will learn that I have loved you. There's a lot that goes into this. But simply put, Jesus promises here that he will vindicate his people. That's the promise. Jesus is committed to justice. Or maybe an easier way to say this is, Jesus is going to stand up for his church. We actually see that in Revelation chapter 1. It's the imagery that John sees of Jesus that actually he's holding, he's holding the church in his hands. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But that's what's being pictured here. Jesus stands with, stands behind those that are his. And please understand this as well. I wouldn't want you to walk out of here thinking this. Um, This is not Jewish people coming before the church and worshiping them. No one bows to Philadelphia or the people there. 
No one bows to Philadelphia. No one bows to the people at Philadelphia. That's not what's taking place. It's God being worshipped here in the presence of the church. That's the symbol. That's an important difference, by the way. That through this church, through their obedience, through their loyalty, through their endurance, what happens? The world around them sees that Jesus loves his church. That's the point. People see the love of Christ through Philadelphia. And that causes them to worship. What a blessing. So again, we got to take what is true and then put that back onto ourselves and ask us ourselves the question, is that what people are experiencing here at New Philly? Is that part of your vision? That through this gathering, people will see and experience the love of Jesus and the beautiful relationship that Jesus, the bridegroom, has with his bride, you, the church. Is that what people walk out of here seeing and believing because of your life? The people walk out of New Philly just thinking to themselves, who don't yet know Christ, oh my goodness, I don't know about that. What, what it is about those people. I don't believe everything that they say or everything that they think. I don't agree with all of their lifestyles. Hey, it's a little bit crazy in there at times, but this is what I do know. They certainly love Jesus, and it seems like if there is a God, he loves them too. And then there's one last commitment that Jesus gives the church. It's in verse 10. Just totally remarkable. He says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, what? Because you've done that. Now here's what I'm going to do for you. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. There's a lot of end times theology here. There's a lot of different ways that people interpret this, depending on what you believe about the end times and the return of Jesus. Um, I have my opinions about that. Uh, but for the sake of time and for the direction of this message, um, I won't talk about that now. You can ask me if you want in the back. <laughs> but I'll just say this. Again, it's the picture here, the same one. He's emphasizing again in a double a double time or a second time. Jesus, again, he's saying, I'm holding my church. I'm keeping my church. It's mine. It belongs to me. Jesus promises here to protect his church. And again, while the church may be persecuted, while we may suffer and go through trials, some may even die for their faith, which, by the way, is even now, today, happening all over our world. Ultimately, we know the promise that we are kept as his bride from the final judgment that is coming on the whole world. It's a great promise. In that truth, in that truth today, you should find hope and you should find peace. If you are a true believer today, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have endured or you're enduring, if you have maintained obedience to the word of God, which is the evidence of your faith, then what's true of you, what's true about your name is that you're a citizen of his kingdom. You escape judgment. That's what he tells Philadelphia that's Jesus' Jesus' commitment to his, his church. And then Jesus ends with some instruction and some promises to these believers. And I hope there are promises that are for you as well. 
And that's where we're going to wrap things up today. He tells them, starting in verse 11, this is what he says to them. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. If you read Revelation and Jesus' letters to the seven churches, you will see that he gives several of these churches. This is just one of seven he writes to. He gives several of the churches in chapters 2 and chapter 3 a warning. He told Ephesus to repent. And if they didn't, he was going to come and actually close that church. That's what he said to Ephesus. He told Pergamum that he was coming to them to bring judgment with the sword of his mouth. You're not speaking truth. You're not living out truth. I'm coming with a word of truth. And just like I created something out of nothing, I can come to you and what you have, I can take away. But the message here to Philadelphia is much different. There's no warning of judgment here. Instead, it's more of an encouragement. He just says, keep going. Hold on. Keep obeying me as you've been obeying me. Don't deny me even when times get hard. Keep proclaiming me as the Lord. Never compromise your faith through the trials, Philadelphia. Keep enduring through your struggles and your pain. Keep persevering through your persecution. Be faithful. Hold on. Don't stop living out the gospel. Continue to fight. Don't let anyone take your crown of victory. Don't let anybody rob you of your reward. Finish well, regardless of the cost. And that's Jesus' message for you today as well. To those of you who have been faithful, and you've been faithful, keep being faithful. To those of you who have, who have not yet compromised, don't start now. Don't compromise your faith. You've struggled. I know you've struggled. Endure. Endure. You've been holding on together. Keep holding on. Why? Why would I ever keep holding on? You don't know what I've been through. Who are you? You're an outsider. You don't know us. You don't know what's, what's going on here. Why would I ever keep holding on? I don't know. I don't know. I know what Jesus would say to you, though. Why? Because I'm coming soon. Hold on, because Jesus is coming soon. And then we close with these final promises, some final words of encouragement. Look at verse 12. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. and Never shall he go out of it. Jesus says, if you're a believer today, if you belong to me, if you're a true Christian, an overcomer, there's some great comfort from you here. There's some great encouragement that he has for you. He says, you will be a pillar in the temple of God. And then also he wants you to know, oh, and you won't leave. You won't leave the temple. Pillars, pillars are a sign or a picture of strength and stability. That's what a pillar is. 
listen here. Uh, remember I told you the city, the city of Philadelphia, it had a, some reputation. One of the things it was known for, though, again, we've already talked about this, was, again, they suffered from frequent earthquakes. Okay, they, they had to evacuate often because volcanic activity would come down and start to kind of threaten the city and to cause them to, to leave. But what's interesting is, in so many cases, even when destruction came their way in the actual city, oftentimes the pillars remained. Do we have a picture of this? I think it was like the first slide. Do you have a picture of, New, of Philadelphia? This is actually a current picture of Philadelphia. I think we have it. There it is. If you go to Philadelphia today, you can. You'll see this all around. This is just a small picture, but you can see how, how fertile the land is. It's really green. If you ever get a chance to go to this area of the world, you should. You can see how green and fertile. And it's what inter- what's interesting is after even thousands of years, what has remained? Some rocks here, but some pillars have remained, even through all the destruction, all the earthquakes, all the chaos, all the instability. And that's actually the picture that Jesus gives us here, the church. Jesus offers us this same strength to remain standing in him when everything around us crumbles. When everything seems to fall apart. As pillars, we stand firm because we are set firmly in the true foundation, which is Jesus Christ. You know, there's so much permanence and stability that comes as a result of following Jesus. There's so much permanence and so much stability that you will find if you truly are following the Lord. And these words would be so meaningful to these people. Again, remember, they're moving in and out of the city. They're coming and going, fleeing and returning. Things are always uncertain. Things are never stable there in Philadelphia. But now Jesus says to them, I know your stability issues. I know there's some uncertainty there. But with me, there's stability. With me, you never have to leave anymore. You don't have to go in and out anymore with me. You're a permanent fixture in my house. That's what Jesus says to Philadelphia. And then second, he says to them, look at this. It just, it just attaches itself right to being a pillar. He says, I will write on him. That's a believer who's, who's done all these things, been faithful, obedient, loyal. He says, I will write on that person the name of God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name kind of wordy there. There's a lot going on there. But bottom line, there are three names given in this text. The name of God, the name of, new, the, name of the New Jerusalem, and the new name of Jesus, which we don't know yet, the name that is above all names. I could give an entire sermon on the significance of these three names. Okay, I could do that, but I won't. I'll let you go home. Okay. But collectively, okay, together, these are marks of identification. This is what's going to identify the people at Philadelphia. It shows the people at Philadelphia 
whom they belong to. These are marks of intimacy as well. Marks of a relationship with our Father. Marks of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Marks and a sign to them that they were ambassadors and they belong to the kingdom. They're citizens of the kingdom. And again, that fits right in with what Jesus said about being a pillar. Because in the ancient world, names would often be inscribed on the pillars of their temples. Actually, if you go there today to Asia Minor, you'll see all these pillars. And on some of them, you'll see these things etched there. Different languages. And most of the time, actually, those are people's names. And the reason they would do that was because they believed okay, that that person who died lived a life of honor. Okay, that they were worthy of honor. That they were worthy of, of blessing. And Jesus then turns that or takes that. He, again, he makes it new. He uses that imagery here to say, I want you to know not only are you a pillar in my house, but you are also an honored member of my kingdom. And that's why I'm going to give you my name. I'm going to etch on you my family name. It's incredible grace. Incredible nurse mercy. There's so much. There's so much church that's attached to a name. And if you follow him, If you follow him, if you keep on enduring, your name is one of honor in his kingdom. It's a name of belonging. It's a name of permanence, even though everything around you is unstable. And then he closes, verse 13, that's where we'll close. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is really simple. Jesus just says to the church, Listen. Oh, yeah, listen. (laughs) Listen to the one true holy God. Listen to the one who has the keys. Listen to the one who has authority. My prayer for you as a church family is that you would devote yourselves to following in the footsteps of the church at Philadelphia. That you would be marked by obedience. That you'd be known for your loyalty to the lordship of Jesus Christ and to the gospel. That people in our city would know you as people who endure. You stick together closely. You hold on to truth. And you just keep going regardless of what's come at you. And then ultimately you would be faithful. I would love to hear that next year, even. In this new season that there would be a course, there's going to be a lot that's said about you. Some of you probably heard, oh, way church before maybe. Even whether Korean, non-Korean, maybe if you have, maybe you haven't. But above all else, I hope that you would hear, oh, those people are faithful. I hope that's what's said about you. Again, not who your leaders are. Not where your location is. Not that you guys have the best systems and structures. And not even about your, your explosive growth. All that secondary. 
or shouldn't even be on the table at all. What should be said of you is, God, those people at New Philly, they are faithful to the Lord. They just keep going. They understand the mountains and valleys will come, and they just keep going. They just keep fighting. They just keep clinging to the truth. They just keep teaching the gospel. My prayer for you is that you would be set apart as well as an open, as an open door in our city. That you would be people who shape culture. Shape culture. That soul would be blessed because you exist in this city. It would be blessed. My biggest fear as a pastor, I remember when I was moving here, I remember telling uh, some people close to me, like, what's your biggest fear in going there? And I said, my biggest fear is that we would plant a church and be a church that when someday, and someday everything will, will, will cease to exist, but that if we were to take our church and remove it from the city, that it would actually affect the city. The city would be hurt because we were no longer a part of it. My biggest fear is that as a church, that we would be so insular, we would be so inward focused, that actually the world around us doesn't even know that we exist. That we just harbor our own situations, our own circumstances, our own problems. Um, but really, no one, no one knows that we even are here. That we're actually covering our light. I pray you'd be an open door that broken people would feel welcome here, loved here, cared for here. Hmm. I feel like God wanted me to say this to you as well. And it's just going to be I don't know, where we close. It's just a final question for you um, right now, individually. You there, sitting there now. Where does your permanence and stability come from? Where is your permanence and stability rooted in? Is your permanence in your comfort? That's really telling about your loyalty and your faithfulness? Uh, is it about how the church is meeting your individual needs? Is that where your permanence and your stability come from? Is it in your position? Where's your permanence and stability come from? Where is it rooted in? Because people who are rooted in Christ, who are abiding in the Lord, they understand that things can shake and quake around them. Trials and troubles can come their way. The winds can move. But they're firm. They're a permanent fixture. Because their stability is in Christ. His kingdom. Peace, comfort, joy. It's promised to you. It's yours. It's yours. It can be yours if you would just be rooted in Christ and devote your whole lives to him and to him alone. Permanence and stability is found. You are only a pillar. You only get his name when your life is totally centered on the gospel 
and on Jesus. That's what Jesus said to Philadelphia. And again, I just pray. All I can do is pray that that would be your message here. Make that your vision and your direction. You don't have to worry. Just make that your vision statement and direction. That we are a people who are rooted in Christ. That through what appears on the outside to be some instability. Oh, no, no. We're fine here. We're stable. We're pillars in the house. That's why. If you do that, watch the way that God blesses your faithfulness. He still has something new for you. It's in your name. There's a lot that comes with a name. Coming together in this season is going to determine a lot about how you're going to live out this name. Know that uh, the church collectively, at least our gathering, (laughs) uh, we're rooting for you. Uh, We're cheering you on. We're praying for you. Uh, You're a blessing to this city. Continue to be a blessing. There's a lot going on in our city, a lot of ministries, not just you. There's a lot going on in our city. Um, Call it the enemy. Call it God. Somebody is shaking up things in our city. How are you going to respond? Be stable. Be strong. Endure. Keep going.